0: Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to be here in the South Hills campus this morning. Uh, I want to welcome all those who are joining us online right now. Uh, typically, Washington and Robinson join us for the 9 a.m., but they're actually having their own services this morning. The campus pastors are preaching live, but good morning to everyone joining us online. So as you just saw, uh, this summer we're doing a five-part series entitled The Games People Play. So if you were here the last two weeks, we kicked off this series where we are using familiar either board games or video games as fitting illustrations of the games that we can play either with one another or even more dangerously, the games we can play with God. So two weeks ago, we looked at the the game Jenga, which is a tower building game, and we saw in Genesis chapter 11 by the example of the Babylonians, the dangers when people strive in their life only to make a name for themselves. They stack up their achievements, not for the glory of God, but for self-glory. And we we said there's nothing wrong with hard work and achievement, that's biblical. We're called to do everything we do with all the effort we can for God's glory, but it needs to be in the manner to make the name of Jesus known, not for self-glorification. Then last week, we looked at the game of chess, the familiar game of chess, and we saw how every piece on a chessboard as a separate role that it needs to play in unison with the other pieces in order for you to win the game. And we saw in the work of the Holy Spirit that in the life of every believer, God has gifted you. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Spirit of God in your life who has uniquely gifted you to be used to build up the church and to be a witness for those who don't know Christ. And we, and we challenge you. Scott gave a, gave a hard challenge last week. One, be aware of your spiritual gifts if you don't know what they are. That's why we're here. We would love to walk you through that. And specifically, if you call this place your home church and you're not using your gifts to serve here, we said within the next 30 days, I think we're down to 23 now, uh, find a way to start using those gifts in the church. So, Today, I get to use a game that was a favorite of myself and my brothers. I grew up with two brothers, and we played a lot of one-on-one games, and one of our favorites was the game Battleship. Who has played Battleship? Who knows Battleship? Yes. Now, I don't like the newer versions of Battleship, because they make all the noises for you. I like the original, that when you hit your brother on his ship, he had to say, boom. It's a hit, and he had to put that red piece on his board. So here's a picture, and I know what you're thinking right now, and I appreciate it. You're thinking, man, I feel bad for Dave, because Scott took the easy games with chess and Jenga, where you can find life-size model for them anywhere. I was not going to find a life-size model battleship. So I'm not mad at Scott, but if you are, let it go. Let it go. We'll be okay. So. Here's a picture of Battleship. So this is my board, and my uh, competitor across from me has the same exact board. Uh, I'm guessing where his ships are, and you use these coordinates. So you have letters here, A through J. you got numbers here. Starts with 1 through 9, then there's a 0. And you just go back and forth. So it looks like I guessed B6, and I hit one of his ships, so I put a red pin there. Looks like I guessed D6, and I miss. So you keep doing that, and you go back and forth until someone sinks their enemy's fleet. Here's a picture of the game pieces. It's pretty simple. Uh, You have five ships at most. The largest ship will take five bombs to sink, and the smallest ship only takes two. It is a great game. It's a simple game. The Bible speaks of a part of our bodies that is described as a small member or simple. And scripture says that this simple part of your body is absolutely dangerous to play games with. It's the tongue right here, our speech. Just like the the game Battleship, it only takes five bombs four bombs, three bombs or two to sink your enemy's fleet, in just five words or four words or three or two, you have the ability to destroy someone, tear them down, or you can drop off supplies of encouragement, love, mercy, that can build up a friendship, change a marriage, set vision for a nation, Build up the church. That's the power of our tongue. I want to give us some examples this morning as we start off. And first, I want to start off with the bat. I have someone close in my life who experienced the senseless pain of emotional abuse growing up. His own father, throughout his childhood, abused him physically and emotionally and he would often tell me, you know, the physical wounds, they, they healed. The emotional wounds, they lasted for years. He could not get the words out of his head. And he said specifically, this five word statement, that's all it took. This five word statement, said often by his father, haunted him. His, his father would tell him, You'll never amount to anything. Five words, like five bombs to the self-esteem and the self-worth of a young man. That's the power of our words. Opposite are those who use their words to build up. And I was thinking, man, what's a, what's a powerful four-word statement? Well, for me, I think in our nation's history, no other four-word statement had more powerful uh, vision for change than when Dr. Martin Luther King in 1963 on the steps of Washington, in just four words, he challenged our nation, don't just talk about civil rights, start acting on it. And he inspired us all by saying, you know it, I have a dream. I'm blessed to serve in Wilkinsburg, an oppressed black community, and I can tell you what, I hear that word often, it still inspires people today. Power of words. Now three words, can someone truly change history or or change something significant in three words? Well, the greatest man is Jesus Christ. And in John 19, 30, when he hung on the cross for you and me, the most powerful three words in history, he said what? It is finished. Yeah, come on, say that together. It is finished in three words. Jesus declared the debt owed for my sin for your sin That we could not cover on our own, our own best effort, Jesus said, It's paid in full. It is finished. And then think about it in two words, it's all Jesus used. In two words, he started to build his church. He called Matthew, Philip, and Peter on separate occasions with a two word invitation. He said, Follow me. They dropped everything. And they went with him. And that's our backbone of the Bible chapel. We use that two-word powerful statement as a motivation for us as we exist to develop followers of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible is clear. We should not play games with our speech. The tongue has great power. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look in the book of James with our aim to have a better understanding of our tongue so we don't play games with our speech. We're gonna observe four attributes of the tongue. I'm telling you right now, it's, uh, it's heavy. It's a heavy uh, part of scripture. But from those four attributes, we're also gonna look at four applications. If you wanna be a maturing believer that God desires for you, we're also gonna look at four applications based off those four attributes. So let's pray before we jump into James this morning together. Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you that every week we can gather as a corporate body across all our campuses and praise the name of Jesus Christ. And God, now as we prepare to to look in your word this morning, we pray that that you would teach us as only you can. So Father, I submit myself to you now. May the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. We commit this time to you now in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So open your Bibles, if you haven't yet, to to the book of James. And as you're doing that, just very quick background. Uh, James was writing to, as he states in James 1.1, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This represented the Jewish believers of that time who were scattered around the world, mostly due to heavy persecution. And throughout this letter, James' desire is through all these experiences they were going through to mature in Christ. He wanted to see these Jewish believers to grow in maturity in Jesus Christ. So how many of you went to the doctor in the past year for like a routine physical or exam? How many of you did that this past year? Okay. How many of you had the, did the doctor say, probably early on in your examinations, he said, can you do this? Uh, stick out your tongue. Anybody do that? Everyone's saying yes. I always thought they did that to waste time because they need to bill you, right? Like, they're just going to fill the gap and do some random things. But I came to understand there is a medical purpose behind that. The tongue, out of all the body parts in your body, can give you a good overall synopsis of your health. A swollen tongue can indicate nutritional deficiencies. Red dots on the tip of your tongue can be a sign of stress or anxiety. If you have redness underneath your tongue, there's a good chance you have a respiratory infection. And if they see defects on the sides of your tongue, that's an indication of liver issues. I never knew that. Your tongue is an overall great indicator of your physical health. Well, same is true about your tongue when it comes to your spiritual health. James is going to start off by saying, your speech truly shows where you're at spiritually. He starts that in James 1, 26. Look at James chapter 1, verse 26, the first time we see the word tongue. James says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. First attribute we see in James is this. The tongue is a key indicator of your spiritual maturity. Remember, James is writing to believers. And he is saying, you can do all the outward acts of religion you want. You can have perfect church attendance. Partake of communion this morning. Get baptized. Go serve in kids ministry. Do all the outward acts you want. But if you have an uncontrolled tongue, you're a spiritual infant. You're not healthy spiritually spiritually. That word deceive means to seduce your heart. All the things you're doing is your effort to try to make yourself think you're holy when you're really not, if you have uncontrolled speech. Your tongue is a key indicator of your spiritual maturity. Jesus made this clear when he was speaking to the Pharisees, but it applies to all of us, Matthew 15, 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. The heart in Scripture represents our entire human being, our spiritual being. Jesus says, what comes out of your mouth is the true representation of where you're at with me. So from that introduction in James 1, he enters into what some say is the most challenging, complex, and convicting passage in all of Scripture on the tongue in James chapter 3. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. In verse 1, he he challenges teachers of God's Word, folks like me who need to be convicted every day that if we say something up here, it better be lived out in our lives. And then he goes broader. In verse 2, he goes to all believers. Let's look at this verse together. James chapter 3, verse 2. James says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to control his entire body. In this verse, this James groups himself in with everyone here, and he says, we all stumble. That word means in the Greek to really be tripped up continuously. James is saying, no matter how mature you are, you're, you're going to have these moments where you, you trip up in your speech. He says, if you don't, if you have completely bridled your tongue, you're a perfect Man, that is not sinless. It means you have become complete in your spiritual maturity. I'm not there. You're not there. That's a place we don't get to until we either go to be with God or Christ returns. So here's the second attribute we see here in James. James says the tongue, it's impossible to control on your own effort. From the day you breathe your first breath to the day you die the tongue's going to be a battle for the believer it's always going to be there to try to trip you up and that's why he says in verses seven and eight he says for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue think about it we have killer whales in sea world and we can make them jump for our amusement. That's how much we have tamed those creatures. We have lions in the Pittsburgh Zoo that you can go watch and observe this afternoon with no fear. But when it comes to your tongue, James says, it's going to be a constant battle. So he says, it's a key indicator of your spiritual maturity, and you'll, you'll never really be able to control it on your own effort. The next two attributes, he explains why. Look at verses 3 through 5. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire if you like a preacher of illustrations James is your man he uses a lot of illustrations in his letter James first uses the horse uh, my dad's a horse chaplain on a on a racetrack i saw many horses growing up they are powerful animals You can take 550 pounds. That's about what a heavy Olympic heavyweight can lift over their head. If you put that same weight on a horse, it won't even snort under the weight. It won't do anything to them. That same horse can sprint a quarter mile in 25 seconds. The horse is a powerful animal. And he says, "Yet if you take this this small bit, put it in its mouth, a 100-pound jockey can control that horse at will. And he saw the same phenomenon with ancient ships, maybe ships like Paul rode on, 176 passenger, huge wooden vessels. And he said these powerful ships and these strong winds against them, it was controlled by this small rudder. That's all it took. Here's what James is saying. He's saying the tongue, like the bit, like the rudder, has tremendous power, disproportionate to its size. Do not overlook your tongue. It is very small, yet it is so powerful. And he says in verse 5, you know, I was thinking about California. We've had record, record amount of wildfires in California. And often, those fires start with what? Just some spark somewhere in the forest or something we do in a blaze. Here it goes. James says the tongue. Man, it can set ablaze a forest fire in your life. It can can destroy lives of those around you if you don't watch your tongue. Let me give you some examples of the spark power of the tongue. One is the spark power of gossip, which can be devastating to relationships, which can be devastating to members. He's writing to believers. It can be devastating to churches. Some of you may know family members. Some of you may know friends. Sadly, there's people in the church that don't speak anymore because someone said something behind someone else's back that they shouldn't have. We looked at this in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Gossip in the church, it can not only tear up relationships between brothers and sisters, it can inhibit ministry. It can hurt what God wants to do here. And it often can start with this little spark. Have you ever been guilty of, of something like this, just a little spark and something you, you shouldn't have said? You tell someone, keep this to yourself, but... I, I don't believe it's true, but I heard that. I, I shouldn't tell you this, but you know what? I know it won't go any further. Or maybe my favorite... Rationalization for Christian gossip. I'm only telling you this so you can pray about it. The spark of gossip is dangerous. Another spark is flattery. Gossip is saying to someone, saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their fla- face. Flattery is the opposite. You say something to someone's face that you really would never say about them behind their back. You're doing it to puff them up to put yourself in a better standing in your relationship with them. And in the church, we got to share truth in love. Sometimes people need correction. Sometimes people need to be called out. And when we flatter one another, we're not helping one another at all. Jesus, uh, we see in Romans 16, 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the heart's of the naive. Another spark is criticism. Good thing we don't have any church critics here. I hope not. Always criticizing at home, at work, and at the church. Uh, I had a guy a few months ago in Wilkinsburg who I was working on, and I I felt like I'm never going to break through with this guy, like try to have a meaningful conversation. He would stay for service, and then one Sunday uh, during our breakfast hour, he, he said, pastor, can I talk to you I said, yeah. He's like, I want to talk to you outside privately. And I'm thinking, man, we're going to have some heavy, good conversation here. And he says, I got to tell you something. I said, go ahead. He says, you know, the breakfast team, they make the bacon too tough. <laughs> and I said, I said you, you do know this is a free breakfast, right? You're not paying for this. Simple example, funny example, but man, we got to watch. The church critic probably has a heart issue that church is all about them. Man, I don't like the songs they sang this morning. Are they really doing that summer series? They're off on those Christmas decorations this year. Do you see the church schedule? They dropped my favorite event. 2 Timothy 2.23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Gossip, slander, criticism, they're just examples of the power of the tongue that can set ablaze great destruction in your life, in the lives of others, and the church. And here's the deal for us today. I don't think James knew this of where we were headed with technology, but with today, with social media, these wildfires go faster and faster and faster. One word, one email, one text, one Facebook post, one tweet, bam, man, it can reach faster than ever before. An article came out, uh, I believe it was last year, where the Federal Center for Disease Control and Prevention said that suicide rates for teenagers went way up from 2010 to 2015 after it had a two-decade decline. They said one thing, social media. They said many of those cases can be solely blamed on cyberbullying. People now, with the power of their words, they can cower behind a screen, they can cower behind a smartphone, and unleash pain on someone without ever having to do it to their face. The power of our tongue today can spread faster than ever before. One more. Attribute. Look at James 3, 6 through 8, and if he, if he didn't get the attention of his readers yet, he's about to. He's about to. Look at verses 6 through 8. James says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. As human beings, we don't become sinners. We are sinners. We are born into sin ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. Romans 3.23 says, For all of us fall short of the glory of God. I like how Jeremiah puts it. He says in Jeremiah 17.9, Our hearts are deceitful above all things. We are desperately sick. So as sinners, apart from Christ, man, our our tongue is this. It's inherently wicked. Makes sense why James says, let's just classify the tongue for what it is. It's evil. It's a world of unrighteousness. It's a restless evil. It, it, It can just fill people with deadly poison. and verse six alone should stop us in our tracks. He says, and the tongue is set, is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, stay in the whole body. It, it can set on fire your entire course of life. This Greek word is genesis. That word means your existence. If your tongue is left uncontrolled, For what it wants to do, it can burn up your entire life. One tweet, one bad post, one bad word, one bad email, man, it can destroy your life, absolutely destroy your life. And he ends with this most powerful note. He says, it is set on fire by hell. This is the Greek word, Gehenna. The Jewish believers, they knew exactly what that was. It used to stand for, back in their day, this valley of Hinnom, which was outside the walls of Jerusalem, south of the city walls. And all the garbage, all the dead animals of the city were dumped in Gehenna and burned. And it said that that fire burned 24-7. Jesus used that same word as a fitting image of the eternal place of those who never trust in him. James, in these first eight verses, he holds nothing back. He, he lays it all out there for these Jewish believers. He says that the tongue is going to be a, a daily battle for you for the rest of your life. If left uncontrolled, it, it can burn up your Genesis. It can divide you in this moment where Christ is trying to build his church, trying to build his church. It can divide you And if you want to talk about maturity, show me your speech. You know, you read these verses, and you could be depressed. I mean, you really could. You'd be like, man, I don't want to speak ever again. I don't want to open my mouth ever again. Or you could be motivated. All right, all right, then what do I need to do? If this is the truth of my tongue apart from God, what do I do? Well, now we're going to look at that. We're going to look at four applications based off... Those uh, four attributes of the tongue. And again, our mission here is to be mature believers. That's what we're trying to do. So what does the maturing believer do when it comes to their speech? Look at verses 9 through 12 to help guide us. James says, with our tongue, we can bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, here we go. Four things. Here's the first one. And the maturing believer is one who pursues consistency in their speech. Every day they wake up with a mission that their speech will be more godly than the day before. James observed a contradiction in the church that's still relevant today. People would be here like you are now, sing worship to our God, praise his name, and then curse another fellow human being on Route 19 on the way home. Or they'll get in a conversation they shouldn't get in on a Monday morning at work or with your neighbors at home. And there was this contradiction. And James says, you can't do that, brothers and sisters. You can't have one vocabulary and tone at church and another vocabulary and tone in the world. It doesn't work that way. He says, actually, that's an impossible contradiction. It's like fresh water and salt water coming out of your mouth at the same time. As soon as salt water hits, it's salt water. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. He's saying if if you're going to have this inconsistency in your speech, you're going to be a spiritual infant. That's where you're going to be. He challenges us to apply consistency in our speech. Let me encourage you to do two things when it comes to this. You see, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34 and 35, for what the mouth speaks of is what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So here we go. Here are two things under this consistency that I want you to do every day. And we say this often. You need to be in God's word every day. If you want to become more consistent in your speech, fill yourself up with his words and get yours out. If you have a speech problem... Odds are you have a daily devotional problem. Get in God's word every day. And I want to encourage you to do this as well. When you wake up every morning, even if it's just a short prayer, commit your speech to God every day. Write these two psalms down. Psalm 1914 and Psalm 141.3. Either write them in your bulletin or in your phone. Psalm 19:14. Psalm 141.3. I want you to recite these every day this upcoming week when you wake up. Psalm 1914 says that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my every day. Every day wake up and say that. Say, God, today at work, at home, with my children, let the words that come out of my mouth, God, be acceptable to you. You're my rock you're my redeemer. And then say this, Psalm 141.3, And God set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Every day commit your speech to God. Say it's all for you. Second, the maturing believer also is daily going to humbly confess their speech to God and they're going to seek accountability. Remember James verse 2 He says, uh, no matter how mature you think you are now, you're going to stumble in your speech. We all do at times. But the maturing believer, they confess their speech. They repent of their words. And they get back on track when it comes to being consistent. Two more things I'm going to ask you to do under this point. Every night when you go to bed, confess your speech to God. Say, God, whatever unwholesome talk came out of my mouth today, Forgive me. If I'm not even aware of what it is, God, forgive me. God, make me aware that tomorrow I can become more consistent in my speech. Every night, confess your speech to God. Ask him to cleanse you. Second, get accountability in your life. You know, we get accountability for a lot of things, finances, uh, many other things in our life. Well, get someone in your life who once a week, especially when you have key conversations coming up that week, who are going to keep you accountable. They're going to say, how are your words this week? How did that meeting go this week? Get someone in your life who will keep you accountable when it comes to your words. James says this in James five sixteen: Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Man, combat the power of the tongue with the power of prayer. First, confessing your speech to God and also getting a brother or sister alongside you who will pray with you. The Spirit of God is the only one who can aid you and guide you to control your tongue. Ask the Spirit to guide you. And also, that same Spirit is in the life of another believer who can pray alongside you and support you. All right, third one. Familiar one. The maturing believer is slow to speak, quick to listen. We hear that often, but we do not usually follow through with this. We like to talk. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. One way to control your tongue is don't talk. Just don't talk. It's one way to control your tongue. Well, we do have to talk, though, each day. Uh, I'm smiling because Kristen and I, <laughs> were encouraging our kids to start this principle at a young age. We do, a, uh, we do a monthly word of the month, so it's like a one word uh, and then a Bible verse. So for August, we're doing the word listen, and we're doing James 1.19. Our two oldest, Ezra and Faith, um, they set a record for the number of timeouts you can have in a month in July. <laughs> so we, uh, we thought this was fitting for August. Uh, as an update based off yesterday alone, we'll probably continue that through September based off where they're at. but even at a young age no matter how old you are it's hard to control our speech and we often want to talk more than letting other people talk proverbs 10:19 when words are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent be smart take your time before you speak think twice before you respond to that email. Young people in this room, this is for all of us, teenagers in this room, think twice before you do that Facebook post, that Instagram post, send out that tweet. Once it's out there, it's out there. Is what you're about to post honoring to God. And let us be a church of great listeners. I challenge all of us this week, do more listening than speaking this week. Be a great listener this week. One more. The maturing believer is one who strives to encourage those around them. James says, don't praise the name of our God, then go out and curse other human beings. Well, the opposite of cursing someone is to build them up to encourage them. We see this all through Scripture, specifically in the church, this calling to encourage one another. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up. Ephesians 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Are you one that when you walk into a room... People perk up because they know you are one who brings encouragement and refreshment to their life. That's who you are. We need more encouragers in the church today, building one another up. You know, I was thinking across all our campuses, if we were a church when it came to our speech, that we were in God's word every day, that we committed our speech every day to God, that every night in humility we confessed those words that were not of God, that we weren't ashamed to find accountability when it comes to our speech. If we were a church of great listeners and we were a church that strived to encourage one another, man, that would be a powerful body that I want to be a part of. And I believe that those who are not following Christ, they would see something about us. Say, I want what they have. And what we have is Jesus Christ. You know, as we prepare for communion this morning, I was thinking James says, the tongue, your speech, it's gonna be a constant battle the rest of your life. But praise God that the most important battle's done. Jesus said, it is finished.